You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. We begin with breaking news. The father of a Vancouver police officer has been identified as the Canadian killed in the attack in Barcelona. Our Jeff Hastings joins us now with more on this devastating news. Jeff. That's right, Chris. We received the news from the VPD a short time ago. Ian Moore Wilson, father of Staff Sergeant Fiona Wilson, was one of 13 people killed yesterday on a busy Barcelona street. In this photo, he's with his partner of 53 years. Valerie, we have a statement from his daughter. She calls her father generous, compassionate, and adventurous. In her words, always game for a lively debate, a good book, exploring new places, and a proper-sized pint. Four other Canadians are among the 100 or so people injured when a van was driven into a crowd of tourists. His passing, she says, leaves an immense void in a tight-knit family. She says he was desperately loved and will be dearly missed. They're thanking everyone who supported them, including Spanish first responders, those who provided urgent medical attention to Valerie. Chris? No doubt, Jeff. Thanks very much. And, of course, our thoughts go out to her family as well. We'll have much more on the manhunt and the terror investigation in Spain coming up a little bit later on the news hour. But right now, to a traffic headache for commuters in the Tri-Cities area tonight, a crane truck hit a train overpass on Lougheed Highway in Coquitlam, creating a real mess for drivers. Our Jennifer Palma is in Coquitlam right now. And Jennifer, I understand the truck driver took off from the scene soon after the accident. Yeah, he made it a little bit challenging to find him, that's for sure. And look at what happened. He uh, drove down this road, and can you see, you can still see that they're clearing it up still. The crane is there on the truck. It suffered quite a bit of damage, and you can even see the hole in the overpass here. It's, it's about a meter or half a meter wide in diameter, so definitely significant. CP engineers were here on area was safe for people to get under and of course for trains to go over on. They have deemed that the tracks are safe and that yes the West Coast Express as well as uh, CP trains can go on both sides of the track. Now as to what happened down here well at around the two o'clock hour this afternoon the truck was headed uh, southbound on low heat when it hit the overpass, creating that hole, apparently dragging the crane for a bit, came to a stop, and that's when apparently, we're told, the driver jumped out. And here's what officials had to say to us about that. Mm-hmm. Well, can you tell us about the driver anything? I can't tell you much other than the RCMP did track him down, and he said he was not feeling well. And so they have him in custody. Okay, he did leave the vehicle at one point? Apparently he left the scene. Uh, we, he was not here when we arrived. We looked f- through the bushes trying to find a person. Unfortunately, no witness had stopped to help us with, uh, uh, to assist us with the scene. So we had really no direction to go by. Now, of course, if you saw something, please let police know what you saw. As for the driver, police are chatting with him. He did suffer some minor injuries. Apparently, the way that he was found was they contacted him on a cell phone. He answered, and then they pinged him after he said that he needed help. So, of course, they went to try to find him, and they did. No charges so far. They're, of course, investigating, and charges might be possible, we're told. As for what's happening here right now, they're still dealing with some environmental concerns, the cleanup. Hydraulic fluid did spill from the crane, so they're just making sure that everything is soaked up. Nothing got into the cash basins. They were able to seal those up. However, southbound traffic is still stopped. There are no cars going by us here, and that's 
spots on low heat between Barnett and Dudney. Northbound traffic, however, has been free flowing for about an hour and a half or so. Back to you. All right, Jen, thank you. We'll hope they get that cleared up real quick. All eyes will be on two major rallies in Vancouver tomorrow. One planned by groups known for their anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim views. The other a counter-protest by anti-racism coalitions. Paul Johnson joins us now from City Hall where the rallies are being held. And you talked to one of the organizers today, Paul. Yeah, I did, Chris. And, you know, you might be wondering why in the world would anybody organize a rally like this just a week after Charlottesville. Well, they told me they planned this long before that, and they vow to go ahead with this, even if there are thousands of people here against them. Jews will not replace us! After the shock and tragedy of Charlottesville, who would have the audacity to stage a rally about racial identity themes at Vancouver City Hall? Well, meet Joey DeLuca. Because it's not one of the world's great religions. DeLuca's group is called the World Coalition Against Islam. They're alarmed by what they say has happened after Muslims immigrated to Europe. And they want to stop it from happening in Canada. They don't respect our laws. They come here to to colonize and take over. And a lot of them are are doing that. Like, look what's going on in Europe. We're only a, a few years behind Europe. Also on the bill with DeLuca tomorrow is BC's Brad Salzberg, leader of the Cultural Action Party. His goal is walking back Canada's long-standing policy of multiculturalism. Returning the dignity to Canadians of European heritage, to our Anglophone community, who have been maligned for the past 40 years. That kind of talk raises the possibility of this clashes between right and left-wing demonstrators. This happened in March near Gastown, and some of the same people here may be showing up tomorrow. Many others are expected after BC's biggest unions put out the call today. I think it's very important for as many people as possible to turn up and uh, directly confront racism and bigotry and and this kind of uh, white supremacist ideology that we're seeing. As for Mr. DeLuca's alarming news about the situation in Europe, it turns out that's not from first-hand research. I personally have never been to Europe, but I've read a lot of articles online. And he's got a unique backstory for someone concerned about law and order, convictions for cocaine and assault. It's not about, you know, who's holier than thou. I mean, nobody's perfect. Now, in that video there that you saw of those clashes in Vancouver, the two groups that were fighting there were the soldiers of Odin and Antifa. Antifa is a left-wing group, and members of that group were involved in the clashes in Charlottesville just last week. Now, both of those groups still maintain a presence in the Vancouver area. Will either of them turn up here tomorrow, and will there be trouble? If there is, Vancouver police say they're ready for it. Chris? All right, Paul, and we'll be covering it no matter what happens down there on the weekend. Thanks very much. Well, if you'd like to brush up on Canadian laws that govern freedom of expression and hate speech, as maybe we all should in these times, log on to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. New details about the Deadpool 2 accident this week just released in a preliminary WorkSafe BC safety report. 40-year-old S.J. Harris died while performing a motorcycle stunt in downtown Vancouver. 
The report says she'd been rehearsing a stunt scene that involved driving a motorcycle out the open doors of a building, across a concrete pad, and down a ramp that had been built over three stairs. You can see that location in this video. She was supposed to come to a stop on the stairs landing, but during the first shooting of the scene, the stunt driver continued beyond the planned stopping spot and drove down a second ramp built over the bottom stairs and across the roadway. The motorcycle then struck the concrete sidewalk curb and Harris was sent flying through a plate glass window of Shaw Tower. An investigation by WorkSafe BC and the coroner continues. A man has pleaded guilty in connection with a murder in Abbotsford that happened more than two years ago. 38-year-old Giuseppe Zecca was found suffering from a serious head wound on the night of May 10, 2015. He died at the scene a short time later. Days later, two men were arrested. And now 31-year-old Shiloh Davidson has pled guilty to manslaughter. The other man, Andre Provencel, had previously pleaded guilty to assault with a weapon and uttering threats. Police in the Caribou are also investigating two suspicious deaths. Officers were called to a home in Williams Lake just after 9.30 this morning and two people were found deceased. The uh, home and where the individuals were located provided uh, evidence to support that this was a suspicious in nature. And uh, although the deaths are suspicious, the RCMP say the public have nothing to fear and the investigation is ongoing. On the wildfire front tonight, the province extended the state of emergency until September 1st. It's the third time it's been extended and it's the longest emergency declaration in B.C. history. 140 fires are still burning across B.C., 11 new ones sparked since yesterday. And the forecast is not great. Thunder and gusting winds are the big concern through the weekend. There are also concerns longer term, with a large portion of the firefighters set to leave the firefight in just a matter of weeks. Neetu Garcha has the details. Going back to school will be a drastic change for some students who will be hitting the books. After months of hitting the flames, B.C.'s worst wildfire season on record could worsen, but a large portion of those deployed in the fight are pulling out. Once uh, university starts up again, we typically lose about 30 to 40 percent of our uh, of our seasonal firefighting staff. That means over the next few weeks, hundreds out of the 1,000 B.C. personnel will shift from the firefight to the classroom. It's a concern for us every year, but of course this year, just given how busy it is, we want to ensure that we still have enough capacity to continue managing in the situation as it is. A total of about 4,000 people, including support staff, are part of the effort. A long way from home, but uh, we're out here to help. Officials say in September, B.C. will have to keep relying on help from out of province and out of country. There's lots of mutual aid agreements in place in eastern Canada, where this fire season has been less aggressive, for example. Uh, they're able to send uh, firefighters out here uh, to help, and so we're going to have uh, the people that we need. And it's not just student firefighters to be replaced after Labor Day. We are also going to be losing about the same percentage of our dispatching staff as well. So we've reached out to the Fire Chiefs Association of BC uh, to access some of their trained dispatchers from uh, from structural fire departments. On Vancouver Island, most of the more than 300 firefighters sent to the interior are back home. And all of a sudden you'd see three individual plumes. Other days you would just, it would be a a literal whiteout of smoke. It's clear the situation is constantly changing, and while officials are planning for the long term, it's also about just taking it one day at a time. We're preparing for the weekend to be quite challenging, and we're we're moving our people and our resources around accordingly. Nitu Garcha, Global News. 
A family of three is recovering from a harrowing boat trip in Howe Sound. They were out crabbing when their boat capsized. But it was the dad's attempt to get help that made an urgent situation even more dire. Ted Chernecki has the story. They are lucky to be alive to tell their story, how a father swam against the tide to seek help for his two sons. It seemed like two waves or maybe one big wave uh, came into the boat and uh, sank the back of the boat and pulled it, basically pulled us under in about 10 seconds. And then they were in the water for about four hours with life jackets on and trying several times to get the attention of passing boaters. A bunch of boats were passing by. Uh, we're trying to whistle and, and lure them in, but they just kept going around us. I was within 100 yards of several boats and they did not see me waving and thrashing about in the ocean. It's a story dripping with apathy. The father eventually had to swim to shore for help. I got up on the highway and uh, the folks uh, thought I was uh, a crazy man, a wet man trying to hold them down. And I had to run for about a kilometer on the highway. These two uh, guys on some paddle boards found us. Uh, and then five minutes later, uh, search and rescue popped up and now we're here. <laughs> These guys did everything right. They wore their PFDs, they had the right equipment. Uh, it paid off. The surface temperature is 18 degrees, so it's a, it's a lucky PFD in warm, warm water. So Dad's the hero, and maybe next Father's Day everyone will have a little more reason to celebrate. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Chilliwack RCMP recently seized some guns and drugs during two separate seizures last month. Investigators searching properties near O'Burn Road and Slessy Road on July 17th they found more than 4,500 marijuana plants. Less than 10 days later, a loaded handgun, ammunition, cash, and drugs were found in a home near the 41,000 block of Yarrow Central Road. Two men have been arrested. Two people are in hospital after a head-on crash in Abbotsford this morning. A minivan collided with an SUV at the intersection of Hardinville Road and Clearbrook Road just before 9 o'clock this morning. The force of the crash sent the minivan onto the curb and into a signpost, pinning the driver's legs around the engine compartment. It took crews 30 minutes to get the man out of there. Both drivers were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Canadians, as we know now, caught up in the Barcelona massacre. We know one died and four others are wounded. And for the Canadians who witnessed it, a harrowing tale of the aftermath. We'll have the latest on the investigation and what authorities say about the driver at the wheel of the van in just over a minute. One of Donald Trump's most trusted advisors is out, Steve Bannon, just the latest to lose his job, and he's already got a new one. That's coming up. And call it a mystery novel, a bunch of cash found in a book taken out of the North Van Library. And now the search is on for the rightful owner. Details coming up. Now, more on the Barcelona terror attacks. Makeshift memorials are growing tonight in the city, thousands showing their defiance as they gather to mourn. Meantime, across Spain, a manhunt is targeting members of a suspected terror cell with links to other attacks. Spanish investigators tonight believe the deadly van attack was the work of a terrorist network that may have had even deadlier plans. Just hours later, 70 miles away in the small beach town of Cambriles, gunshots rang out. It was another attempted vehicle assault, but when that car crashed and five suspects emerged with knives, police quickly shot them dead. 
Police say they were wearing fake explosive vests. And that could be the most revealing clue of all. Because two days ago, police now believe this terrorist cell's bomb factory prematurely exploded. Investigators suspect the attacker's original plan was to build a truck bomb. But with no explosives left, they went low-tech instead. What you have is a terrorist cell that's um, being opportunistic and realizing they have probably a limited window in time to operate. American tourist Heidi Nunes and her husband Jared Tucker were in Barcelona. Today we learned Tucker was the lone American killed in the attack. His father, blindsided, still in shock. I don't know how you feel. I, I'm not angry necessarily, uh, you know. But more important, I just don't understand it. This was a tragedy. There was an emotional outpouring at the growing memorial, but also deep resolve. This is where the attack took place. The van that killed and injured so many terrified victims passed right through here. But what's amazing is that this street is even more crowded today than it was at the time of the attack. Tens of thousands of people have come here to express their sympathy, but mostly to show that they and this city refuse to be intimidated. French-American Pascal Smorag witnessed the attack. Instead of leaving, she booked herself an extra day in Barcelona. For peace, for love, and to show the people in Barcelona that we care. Another European city is on edge tonight. In Finland, police are investigating a deadly stabbing rampage. Witnesses say a man with a huge knife started randomly slashing people in a busy market area of Turku. The city is about 90 minutes west of the capital, Helsinki. Two people were killed, six were wounded. Police say they have one man in custody and are looking for more potential suspects. They say it's too early to link this incident to international terrorism, but Finland, like Spain, is now on high alert. Excitement grows for the solar eclipse. It's only going to be about 100 kilometers wide. Shining a light on North America's moment of darkness coming up. And one month after they lost everything to the wildfires, recovery is slow in Lake Country. It's been one month since a deliberately set fire destroyed eight homes and damaged many others in Lake Country. Global Okanagan's Claudia Van Emmerich went back to see how the neighborhood is beginning the difficult task of recovery. We're really hoping that they can get the fire retardant off of this pergola. The fire may be long out, but evidence of it is still everywhere. And while Joanne Kroom's house is still standing, it's unlivable. It looks like we've moved out and taken the carpets with us. There's nothing left in there. Forcing her and her husband to live here on their driveway in their trailer. We want to be on site, and we've lived here for 20 years. And uh, we feel more comfortable here than anywhere else. Every day is cleanup day for us. There's still a lot of work to do to get things back in order. From removing retardant off the house. We either have to uh, restucco it or repaint it. To getting rid of everything that was smoke or water damaged. The cleanup job is huge, with restoration work replacing the hustle and bustle of regular neighborhood life. It's usually pretty busy between, you know, 10 and 6 with all the construction vehicles, but other than that, it's, it's a ghost town. There's a, a, a real sense of, okay, let's, let's start rebuilding, let's get going. You know, the burnt trees were coming down yesterday, there'll be excavations about the burnt houses getting cleared out. 
Uh, it's just a real sense of community that we're all together. Residents leaning on one another as the neighborhood rebounds from an event that won't be forgotten anytime soon. And yes, it's definitely brought us together and made us stronger. Something that's sure to help as residents embark on the long road to recovery. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Lake Country. We're just days away from a very rare event. Most of North America is buzzing about Monday's solar eclipse. And while many scramble to find those coveted protective glasses, experts are reminding amateur astronomers about what else they need to keep in mind. Here's Nadia Stewart. At Vancouver's observatory, preparations are underway for a once-in-a-100-year event. So it's a really exciting time where we, as uh, all of Canada, as well as all of the United States, and really North America, has an opportunity all across the board to see the eclipse in varying degrees. At around 10.20 on Monday morning, day will turn to night for a few minutes. The closer you are to that path of totality, the more you'll see. And what makes this eclipse so special is where it can be best viewed. For the eclipse that's coming up on Monday, it's only going to be about 100 kilometers wide. So it's a very thin uh, band, relatively speaking. Over land, just south of Portland, all the way across the southeast United States. The rare opportunity prompting eclipse enthusiasts to camp out in Portland's airport, trying to hitch a ride to the Symbiosis Gathering, an eclipse festival near Prineville, about three hours south of Portland. This is a sort of collective energy that's going to happen and people hopefully are like in the right mindset. Getting ready also means gassing up in Oregon, long lines leaving stations out of fuel. And there are concerns in the state of California where the eclipse means a solar power dip of 6,000 megawatts. To put it in perspective, 6,000 megawatts is about half of the total production um, we have in British Columbia here. So half of our output they're going to lose in, in a day. BC Hydro prepared to supply that extra power if needed. But for folks here at home, the only thing in demand are these glasses, now selling for upwards of $40 on Craigslist. Keith warns, don't be duped. This one says meets the requirements for ISO 12312-2. This is the standard that we have uh, for the glasses. Glasses you can get your hands on at the observatory on Monday, if you're lucky. Nadia Stewart, Global News. The latest casualty in the Trump administration. I like him. He's a good man. Steve Bannon lasted longer at the top than anyone else. Why he's out and why it didn't take him long to land another job. And is burnout treatable? One Vancouver doctor says it should be. That's later. Another major shakeup in Washington today. Steve Bannon is out. President Trump's controversial chief strategist, has been removed from the White House. He's now the latest top aide of Trump to be forced out. But he's not going quietly, promising a wide-ranging fight for his right-wing nationalist ideas. Promising war, Steve Bannon's bracing for battle. The now-ousted chief strategist telling Bloomberg he's leaving the White House to fight for President Trump against his opponents on Capitol Hill, in the media, and in corporate America. Bannon now becoming one of the last West Wing originals to leave the picture, one year and one day after joining Team Trump. The self-styled protector of the president's nationalist pledges, mutually agreeing with Chief of Staff John Kelly that he should leave, according to the White House. 
The news applauded today, literally, when it was announced at the stock exchange. I'm telling you that, that uh, Bannon is said to have submitted his resignation. Cheered by civil rights groups, Democrats, even some Republicans. The president did absolutely the right thing in firing Steve Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon uh, was undermining the administration. The chief strategist had been telling people close to him he thought he'd survive. But NBC News has learned Bannon talked with Kelly about resigning two weeks ago, according to multiple sources familiar with the decision. A White House official tells NBC News Kelly recommended Bannon's removal after a staff review this month at Bedminster, getting a sign-off from the president. Bannon, often seen, rarely heard, but influential with far-right conservatives, delivering this message to them earlier this year. Have our back, but hold us accountable. Bannon, now able to freely swipe at the so-called globalists in the West Wing. He had the infamous whiteboard behind him in the West Wing where he was keeping track of all of President Trump's campaign promises. So conservatives trusted Steve Bannon as the backbone of the Trump administration. This was another fix to uh, the staff side of the equation, but really I don't think it'll have much effect on the Donald Trump side of the equation. In health matters tonight, if constant stress has you feeling helpless, you may be suffering from burnout. It's not an official medical diagnosis yet, but one Vancouver doctor views burnout as just as serious as diabetes. Linda Aylesworth now on how to recognize it and what to do about it. For millions of years, our bodies have reacted to threats, real or perceived, by releasing a cascade of hormones to help us respond to either run away or stand our ground. The fight or flight response. Freeze fight or flight response is supposed to be a really acute, short-lived response to an immediate threat. But in our world, we're constantly under stress. A recent survey finds that a quarter of working Canadians have actually quit their jobs because of unmanageable stress. Dr. Kang believes that it's time we recognize burnout as medically significant. We actually now have uh, studies that show a reduction in gray matter of the brain, uh, which is a part of the brain that we need for thinking and problem solving. It can lead to the making of poor decisions and medical issues like depression. Prolonged stress can also suppress the immune system, leading to any number of illnesses. But why now, more than in past generations, are we burning ourselves out? Being too busy is a symbol of importance. If you take breaks or rest, you're lazy. Um, and there's kind of this notion that if you're not burnt out, you're not really an ambitious person. And it's not just the jobs traditionally considered high stress that are the problem. Firefighters and police officers and emergency, there's a sense of community and we know that protects against stress. And so you can see really high stress jobs that actually don't have as much burnout. The real offenders... Jobs that isolate us, like those that separate employees with cubicles, negative cultures where there's bullying or where there's no sense of control or value. How can we best cope? Routine regular sleep, routine regular water, routine regular good diet, exercise, social connection. These sound very simple, but they certainly are the first step in keeping yourself healthy. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Racing to help kids in a rougher part of town. We had an epidemic of, of kids stealing uh, Ray cars. Cam. The Raycam Soapbox Derby, where the finish line is just the start of a much brighter future. And future frogs, rare tadpoles, get a boost from human helpers at the Vancouver Aquarium.
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, they found something in a signed out library book that was worth way more than any late fees. And they want to get it back to the rightful owner. That mystery coming up a little later after the forecast. We'll throw to Yvonne right now, who's covering Rock Ambleside. How are you doing, Yvonne? Good time so far? Uh, yeah, it's a great time. Uh, we just uh, have a harlequin that's just taken the stage in behind us, Chris, promptly at 6 p.m. And we've got a great crowd out here, and we've got great conditions as well. It looks like it's going to remain dry. This is a three-day rock concert festival that's going to be taking place, and we'll have more information on that. But as you can see, the crowds are out here this evening, and if you are planning on coming down, you can bring your own lawn chair as well. I'll have more on that. But we'll get into the forecast and what we can anticipate if you are planning on heading out for the weekend. So here's a look at our tower cam shot and what we're seeing out there a stunning view of English Bay this evening a reminder participation is helping Canada celebrate 150 years and giving us 150 ways to stay in shape and tonight's suggestion is camping something that you may be planning on doing over the weekend and many areas are going to be looking at favorable conditions so as we get into the forecast temperatures today were very pleasant we did see a fair bit of cloud covered and that was mostly uh, throughout the day but we've managed to squeeze out some breaks a high of 22 degrees our average for this time of the year and a record on this day 27 was set back in 1965 a very happy birthday this evening to get claire belgrove who's celebrating 100 so congratulations to you and i hope you've had a wonderful day a look at some of the numbers today it has been warmer especially for the interior sections up to 30 degrees for areas near Kelowna and asoyas climbing up to 31 central interior at 19 and coastal sections were at 13 degrees we've had some active weather to talk about though the passage of a cold front right across the entire province where we have have seen some instability and the concern still for the early evening hours is very windy conditions ahead of the front we could see some gusts of up to 60 kilometers per hour and in wake of the front we could still see them anywhere between 40 and 60 we're keeping a close eye especially as we progress throughout the evening hours things will be much calmer looking ahead towards tomorrow as we can see though for our Saturday coastal sections the north and central coast will still hang on to the bulk of the majority of that rainfall with an additional 5 and up to 10 millimeters. Most areas for the central and southern interior, it is going to remain dry for both days out of the weekend. And we are still looking at that widespread smoke. That will be a concern throughout much of the weekend, hoping to see a bit of a reprieve in towards Monday. South coast with the passage of this front, we are still seeing some cloud cover. It'll break up, though, as we get in towards the afternoon hours. Both days out of our weekend look to remain dry, but we are going to see a clearing that is on the way for our Saturday and leading in towards our Sunday more sunshine it is going to bump up once again and that will likely take us in towards our Monday Tuesday all right as we had mentioned we're down here at Rock Ambleside Park and I'm bringing in Graham Lee you're the GSL group president and CEO tell us a little bit about the event and how it's come about well I used to play soccer as a little kid uh, when I was about nine years old and I always thought it would be a great place to have a concert so uh, when I got a little older I said I uh, went to the city and I said we should do this because we're already in the business and they said yes. So we've had great shows here. We've had uh, Kenny Chesney, Ed Sheeran, uh, Sarah McLaughlin, Neil Young. First time we've done a three-day festival, though. So we're trying something new, and so far, so good. It's been great. Uh, all Canadian rock bands from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it's nice that everything's local from Canada right across. And some of the names that we're going to be seeing over the weekend, especially leading into Saturday and Sunday. Oh, we got April Wine, Glass Tiger, Harlequin Tonight, uh, uh, Sam Peters, uh, a lot of classic bands. You may not have heard of the names, but the songs, when you hear them, you'll know them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. And you can bring your own lawn chair if you're planning on coming out. BYOC. <laughs> bring your own chair. 
And uh, yeah, you just hang on to the look at everybody's out here right now. The weather's spectacular. Thanks for bringing the sunshine out, by the way, since you're the weather person. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a great event and it's great just to hang out down here. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Graham. So again, if you're planning on coming out, you can bring your own chair and the conditions are going to be favorable as well as we lead into the weekend. Chris, back to you. Yvonne, great soundtrack to your weather forecast from Harlequin. Thinking of you <laughs> off the Love Crimes album of 1981. Very, very impressive. Thanks, Graham, too, and have a good time down there. Well, a very honest person has turned in a whole lot of cash they found in a book they borrowed from the library. RCMP say a load of money was returned to the North Vancouver City Library last month, enough money to pay rent. Now that's been handed over to the police. Library records show no recent user of the book missing any money. Police aren't saying what book the money was found in or the amount. So if you happen to be the rightful owner, North Vancouver RCMP would like to speak with you. So the mystery is now who would have all this money in a book and return it to the library. Disclosing the name or type of the book uh, and the amount, we're hoping that somebody out there uh, inadvertently left money in a book to maybe pay for rent or saving it or whatever and now is out this money, and uh, we'd love to return to them if they can identify the book and the amount of money. An endangered species got a bit of a boost this week. About 400 northern leopard frog tadpoles were released Thursday in Briscoe in the East Kootenays. They got there thanks to a flight with London Air and a two-hour drive into the wetlands along the Columbia River near the Alberta border. Since 2013, the Vancouver Aquarium has breeded and released nearly 5,500 tadpoles. Northern leopard frogs are among the most at-risk amphibian species in the world. Well, students have to do a lot in order to get scholarships, but one college football player in Ohio had everything riding on just one field goal. Bowling Green State teammates went crazy when Jake Suter successfully made the 53-yard field goal. That kick means he earned a full-ride scholarship for the rest of his time at the university. Last year, Suter was the team's primary kicker, making 9 of 12 field goal attempts and 35 of 38 extra wow. points. Pretty good lead into Barry sitting in for yeah, Squire tonight. That is a, that's a pressure kick. I mean, you're kicking for your livelihood. That's like making the three-footer to make the putt in golf. That's, that's right. More pressure than actually making it to the weekend. Good, good for him. Yeah, great kick. What are you working on? Well, we got, uh, speaking of football, mm -hmm. little game going on there tonight at uh, BC Place, and the Lions need a great effort to prevent getting licked by the Stamps. Up to us for us to prove um, that we're a good team. Lions will have to play their best game to beat a dangerous Stamps team with so many weapons. Look forward to that and building community by building go-karts in a part of Vancouver that's seen its share of trouble. All starts tomorrow, doesn't it? Yeah, Maybe. yeah, it's coming. Uh, okay, big football game tonight. Yeah, well, this is kind of one of those gut check moments, I mm -hmm. think. We have those all the time here. The Lions is a big one, too. About 559 every <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, about that. Yeah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see what the Lions are made of tonight. Surely they can't play any worse than they did last Sunday in Regina. Sure, there were a lot of mistakes in that game, but the most glaring problem, in my mind, was just a total lack of emotion. The Lions were not only flat, they flat-lined. Now, with the dangerous stamps calling tonight at BC Place, the Lions best be ready from the opening kick, or it could be another embarrassing night. Mitchell looking again and caught touchdown. 
Running into this offensive juggernaut now is probably not the best thing for BC. The Stampeders are red hot. They've won three in a row, five of six, and lead the CFL in points four, averaging almost 36, while giving up just 20 a game, fewest overall. Uh, you know, we need to get prepared for the next opponent. It's going to be a tough, tough game. Calgary's got an excellent football club, as they usually have. And, you know, uh, our point of view, we need to pick up our game. But it won't be easy. First thing, the Lions have to stuff the run. Jerome Messam leads the CFL in rushing touchdowns with six and has racked up almost 500 yards on the ground. But BC does have the best run-stop defense in the league. You know, Cowboys a good team, and we're excited for the challenge. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to get better. It's an opportunity for us to prove um, that we're a good team. And, and Friday, Friday night, we'll show that. Every time we play Calgary, we have to bring it. It's just because they're one of the top teams in the league. So we just have to make sure we play our best against them. Problem number two, Bo Levi Mitchell. 13 touchdown passes to just three interceptions, fewest among starters this season. And this isn't good. Last year, in three games, including the Western Final, Mitchell averaged 356 yards and threw for eight touchdowns versus BC. We have momentum. We're going to continue that momentum. We're going to go out and play great. Um, you know, we're not going to fall in any traps, and, and we're going to play the way we always play coming off bye weeks, is, is be well prepared, come out physical and fast. Yes, it's still early, but a Lions win and they're back in the race for a home playoff date in the Tough West. But a loss and they drop to fourth, which actually wouldn't be a bad thing come November because that would mean a crossover to the week east. Just something to think about. Chanel Pertap, Global Sports. Harris. Speaking of the East, Red Blacks and Ticats with a combined record of 1-13-1. The Lions are fourth in the West. They'd be first in the East by four points. Ticats looking for their first win after an 0-7 start. This is positive. Luke Tasker, touchdown from Zach Calaro, 7-3. Hamilton with a rare lead. Ottawa had the ball a lot, but they also uh, didn't cash in anything in the red zone. Five field goals in the first half from Brett Marr, former Nebraska kicker, 15-10 Ottawa at the half. Third quarter, Ticats second and short, chance for a touchdown. Brandon Banks got himself some butterfingers there, bobbles it and drops it. That's why they're 0-7, 25-10 Ottawa right now in the fourth. The Whitecaps begin an important stretch at home tomorrow night when they face Houston. The Dynamo are one of the hottest teams right now, undefeated in their last six. Vancouver currently sitting out of a playoff spot, but they do have two games in hand. The Caps play six of their next seven at home. Something worth noting, they've never lost to Houston at BC Place since joining MLS back in 2011. Played him early on the season, even though we didn't get any points on the table. You know, I thought we played very, very well second half and probably deserved something. What we need to make sure we do is focus on us, enjoy the game, uh, be right at it and take our chances. Because if we can do that, then I firmly believe we can beat anyone on day. Great ball in. Very much Brad. Blue Jays at Wrigley Field today, taking on the Cubs. Only the second visit ever to Wrigley for the Jays in their 40-year history. Didn't go well. 3-1 Cubs in the fifth. Anthony Rizzo with the base hit off. Jay Happ scores a pair. Cubs have a comfortable... 5-1 lead, but Toronto did chip away. Now 5-2 in the eighth. Ryan Goins comes up with yet another clutch hit. Base hit to right scores two. Goins has 47 RBI, fifth most on the team, which is not bad for a utility infielder. That made it 5-4, but the Cubs got those two right back in the bottom of the eighth. Javier Baez crushes a two-run shot. Cubs win 7-4. Jays are three and a half out in the wild card. 
but basically you have to win, I think, about 26 of their last 40 to have a chance. And they've been so consistently average this year, <laughs> they would really have to go on a roll. But, hey, the Blue Jay Nation, I'm sure, has yeah. their fingers crossed. You never know. If they, you know. It's there for them if they can put a little string together. Did Bautista ever get a home run there? He's still not hit uh, a home run at Wrigley Field. Well, he didn't. I don't think he started today. No. So I guess right. that's hard to hit one from the bench. Yes. It? Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> Here's Jeff Hastings now with a preview of Global News tonight at 11. Jeff. Hi, Chris. Slater at 11. We'll have more on the Canadian killed in a terrorist attack in Spain. The victim is the father of a Vancouver police officer. Ian Moore Wilson is being remembered for his compassion, his generosity, and his love of adventure. Plus, a rescue on Okanagan Lake. How 10 people, including several children, made it to shore after their boat was swamped by a big wave. It is a busy news night, Chris. Those stories and much more tonight at 11. No doubt. All right, thanks very much, Jeff. And when we come back, Gravity Power, a soapbox derby right in the heart of Vancouver's downtown east side. Custom-built green vehicles took over a stretch of Vancouver's East Hastings today. The fourth annual Raycam soapbox derby hit the streets bringing joy to kids in a community that sometimes really need it. On your marks, get set, go! But this is one of the parking lots that not a whole lot of good happens, unfortunately. We're here downtown east side, and I see a lot of activity in this parking lot that comes from outside, and it's not a good one. Go! This uh, area was one of the places where we had an epidemic of, of kids stealing uh, cars and going for joy rides, and that led to a whole bunch of other problems and issues. These uh, soapboxes were built in NASCAR's program, so our youth are here, they're part of this uh, building these soapboxes, and uh, they'll, they'll earn skills such as welding, uh, metal fab, painting. Um, and it's about trades, it's about opportunities, and uh, we enjoy seeing our young people step up and, and, and shine. Well, this is how you build community, and this is how you build uh, resilience uh, for the youth so that they can go on and live prosperous lives and have careers and learn skills that uh, lead to more positive things. I, I take pleasure because I see everyone, you know, laughing, all community members as well as the police officer, firefighters, community members, businesses, they all come and chip in and help out. Oh man, here we go. Amazing stuff. Well shot by Sergio and edited by Carl. Great job, guys, and great job to the kids who put some yeah, of those. Having some fun on there. Sometimes it's more fun to wipe out into the bales yeah, than to is make true. it across the finish line. Trish Jewison, uh, Tweeted out a picture of BC Place. Roof's open for the game tonight. Okay, that's a good sign for the good Lions. Good sign for the Lions. 